welcome to What You Didn't Expect in Fertility, Pregnancy, and Birth. How we think and feel about this enormous transition often lives in the gap between what we expected and what we actually experienced. This gap exists in part because of how we tend to talk about and portray these events in all kinds of media. In a one-dimensional way, everything was amazing. But it's more often the case that there are beautiful things that happen and, at the same time, really challenging things that happen. This show shares true experiences, both the easy parts and the difficult parts, and how we manage what we didn't expect. The intense things that can happen in the course of this transition can impact how you see yourself, how you see your partner, and how you parent. The better we understand what happened to us, the better we can manage all the things that follow. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm a writer and economist and the mother of two girls. And I met many, many challenges in this process, none of which I expected. In today's episode, I talked to a woman about how her pregnancy and first birth changed her life in ways she couldn't have anticipated. Aside from the enormous change of becoming someone's mother, as a consequence of her experience, she left teaching and became a birth educator and lactation consultant. We talked about one of the fundamental issues she faced in that first birth, managing her fear. She also shared how she counsels other women about managing their own fears. This is the first of three episodes. Let's get to this inspiring story. Hi, thanks so much for coming on the show. Can you introduce yourself and tell us where you're from? Yeah, my name is Kelly Durbin. I'm from Ohio originally, although the last couple of years have been moving back and forth all around the country. Right now, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, nice. So this isn't true for everyone, but for many people, the family that you create is in some ways a reflection of a family you came from. Either you want to copy whatever you grew up with or play away from that? Do you have siblings? Does your previous family life, do you think, influence the family you created? Well, it's funny. I've never thought of it that way before. I have two older sisters and I have a younger brother. So I'm one of four. And I think it influenced me in the way that I thought this was fun. I love my siblings. We did all the goofy stuff that kids do with their brothers and sisters. That was, you know, sometimes fun, sometimes annoying, but I also didn't want to miss that. I didn't want my kids to not have siblings. And I, I feel like it influenced me to want to have more than one. So I I only have two kids and I, I will reveal that part of that is due to the fact that I got started a little bit later than the average person. I was 35 when I had my first and I was 37. There's seven and a half, maybe, but I had my second daughter and I was thinking, this sounds goofy, but I was thinking, I, I think I got married when I was 34 and I was like, oh, I, I have plenty of time. I'll just wait a few years. It didn't happen that way because I ended up just surprised I was pregnant. But looking back, I thought, geez, I didn't really have any time to spare because, you know, it takes time to recover from a pregnancy then you may not want to jump right back into being pregnant when your baby is 12 months old or whatever. A lot of people feel that they have to, but I'll tell you, after my second was born, I didn't even consider having another baby. And if I had been younger, I might have done that. Pregnancy looks easier on paper than it actually is. So, Absolutely. So it makes sense that you wouldn't necessarily be thinking of that walking into it. You might not appreciate that. and. Yeah. So, so that makes sense to me. And it's funny. My husband and I talked about five and we were like, yeah, that seems, 
that seems so fun. Let's definitely have five with no sense of what that means. Yes. The cost of what that means physically and emotionally. So when you decide to get pregnant, it sounds like it was easy to get pregnant since it happened before you were really thinking about it. We got married in September and I was pregnant in January. And I'm telling you, I didn't try to make this happen. But looking back, I'm glad it worked out that way because if I had been consciously controlling it, I know that I would have put it off for another maybe year or two thinking, oh gosh, you know, 35 is young. And it is, it is young. But if you want multiple kids or you want to have more than two, to be honest, it's not because... I felt, at least, when my second daughter was still a toddler, I was overwhelmed. It wasn't the body, although I will get into that later, but I did have issues. It was my mental space. I wasn't ready. And I knew at that point the surrender that's required in order to go through a pregnancy again. And I couldn't do it. And so now I'm a mom of two. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. What are you imagining pregnancy will be like since you haven't set up this whole thing to get pregnant in the first place? Right. I didn't have any real expectations. Oddly enough, both of my sisters had kids before I did. So I I was not completely unaware of the whole process and everything that goes along. But my the sister who is number two in our family, my closest sister in age, she had a lot of infertility issues and she has kids. She definitely was able to make it work. But I saw the struggle that she went through and I thought to myself, just going into that part of my life, getting married and considering kids, I thought if it doesn't work for me, I will not pursue any kind of fertility treatments or anything like that because I just thought, I don't think I have the bandwidth or the mental capacity to do what she did, which is, you know, it's getting the body ready through fertility treatments was more than I thought that I would be willing to handle. So when I ended up getting pregnant, just sort of out of the blue, sort of the way people used to do it, um, I was completely surprised. Um, I didn't have any pre-arranged notions of what this would be like in terms of my health or how it would change my daily routine in pregnancy. And lucky for me, the this first pregnancy and in fact the second one too to a degree i was very healthy and i felt great aside from all the usual stuff like i'm exhausted or sleep is disrupted or you know whatever it none of it was out of the realm of ordinary so everything kind of went straight forward for me and i didn't feel like i had expectations about pregnancy I maybe had a little bit of, of fear, but I think it was the, the same thing that everyone worries about. How is this going to affect me mentally, physically? How am I going to cope as a mother? You know, it's one thing to see all this change happening in the body, but then knowing that one day it's going to be me and that baby. And I, I think I, I just maybe underprepared on that end. I, I guess I just wasn't completely ready to make the shift to become someone else's mother. I never thought of myself in that way. Yeah, just stepping into pregnancy, it is so dramatic and it's a little bit like describing a color you've never seen, right? I mean, yes. You are going to take this role that you've never done before and it's shockingly difficult and dramatic, right? And you, and you can't go back, right? It's not... Right. So that all makes sense to me. 
as you're coming up to the birth, do you have any idea of, oh, I want this specific kind of birth or how does that go? Yeah, actually, I I did. I thought more about the birth than I did about pregnancy. And I think what happened was several years before I even thought about becoming pregnant, I was at my sister's house and she already had some little kids. I think she had two at the time. And she was getting Mothering Magazine when they used to send it in the mail. And, and they don't even print it anymore. I don't even know that Mothering Magazine exists anymore. But she used to get it. And every time I would go to her house, I would read all these back issues of Mothering. And I was fascinated by the idea of um, an out-of-hospital birth. So at the time, I think I had only ever heard of one person that I had ever met who was not born in a hospital. And I was like, okay, that sounds totally nuts. This was back in the 90s. Well, fast forward, you know, 10 or 12 years, and here I am reading about this at my sister's house in Mothering Magazine. And I was floored. And I thought, this sounds fantastic. What was I thinking? At the time, I was living in Cincinnati. And I learned that there was a birth center there. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Well, it turns out I didn't live in Cincinnati when my kids were born. The birth center had been shut down long before I was even pregnant. But I ended up being really attracted to that idea of not going to the hospital for a variety of reasons. And that's actually what happens. I, I went to a birth center. Wait, so why are you interested in avoiding a hospital? So I've had a lifelong fear of needles, like tragic fear. That sounds really strange. I don't know where it comes from. And I, I'm safely, I'm over it now. And I do believe that being pregnant helped me to get over it because I felt like at some point I was just like, okay, I, I just have to grow up and face this fear and let go of this. But at the time I was thinking, well, if I don't go to the hospital, no one will try to stick me with a needle and I can avoid more likely than not all these other birth interventions that are things that I don't want to opt into. So on that level, it was more like fear, which sounds, I, I mean, when I talk to people about birth, I'm a childbirth educator as well as a lactation consultant. And when I talk to people about birth, I try really hard to explain to people it's really worthwhile to face any kind of fears you have about the birthing experience. And for me, looking back, my entire plan was based out of fear, of fear of these things that might happen, you know? So I'm not sure that it was the best strategy in terms of planning, but it got me where I wanted to go and it ended up being okay. So that's super interesting. And let's circle back to the, what you counsel other people about fear, because I think it is normal and super common for many of us to walk into it with fear, walk into the birth yeah. anyway. I for sure was panicked about the birth. And I remember halfway through the pregnancy, I was like, holy shit, this baby is too big to exit its intended route. And there's only one way out. And I wasn't really considering a C-section, which I ended up with. But just the idea of it was scary to me. I couldn't imagine my body cooperating in that way. And I get that we're only here because of birthing women. And I get that on some level, but I don't see how it translates to my own body. So yeah. it seems like this would be such useful counseling. So I definitely want to get back to that. So I said that we get back to counseling people about what to do with their fear of childbirth, but then we actually didn't circle back. So I reached out to Kelly online and this is what she wrote to me. 
She said she tries to encourage people to focus on a few things, and I'll include her list here. She says, focus on the positives. Don't let fear drive your choices for childbirth. Learn about birth and your options. Every single decision point is important, and people feel more empowered when they know they have options. If you're worried about pain relief, learn about natural coping techniques. Use this as a first line and save the higher level meds for your last resort. Believe in your own power. Learn about how labor progresses. Create a plan for early labor by keeping your mind occupied. Create a plan for active labor. Use people-centered coping techniques, people providing emotional and physical support instead of meds to take away the pain. Hire a doula. Take a childbirth class that helps you and your partner learn coping techniques for active labor. This can go a long way to removing the fear because people feel more prepared. And finally, she says, believe in yourself. So you're planning to do it at a birth center and then the day that your baby is born, how do we know today's the day? What happens? So I will say that in between getting pregnant and the day the baby was born, I took a 12-week childbirth class. And that is something that most people don't do. And I was oddly fascinated by the process of birth and breastfeeding at the time, though I was focusing on birth. So a 12-week class, I'm assuming it's not at the hospital. No, it was some lady in suburban Cincinnati who was doing this out of her home, I believe. I think we took, no, she she arranged it at an office, but it was just a no brand name 12-week childbirth class. It was amazing. And it actually changed the whole course of my life because when we were done with that, not only did I get ready for birth, I also changed my job. I was a teacher and I was like, forget it. Now I'm going to be a childbirth educator. This is amazing. So I was fascinated by it. That's super cool and relatable. I also think birth is amazing. So how does that affect the day the baby comes? I I felt like I had dealt with some of the fear and I had put it behind me in a way. And looking back on this, it was naive confidence, but I did feel very confident. And to be honest, I feel like even though it was naive, I'm glad that that I felt so prepared going into it. And I was like, okay, I can do this. My entire body is designed for this moment. So I knew that I could do it, that I was capable. And I had dealt with some of the fears and and a little bit of that kind of crept up on me on the day that my second daughter was born, but we'll get to that later. So I was about a week overdue and the midwives at the birth center didn't seem to alarmed. They, I think, were prepared for physiological birth normally doesn't happen on the due date. And we are generally considered to be fine a few days after that. So they weren't worried. And about a week later, I was just walking up the stairs at my house and my water broke. And that is unusual. Most people don't have water break at the first sign of labor, but my labor did not automatically get started. So I called the midwife. The birth center was about an hour away, which looking back, I would not make that choice again because an hour is too far. And we were an hour south of Indianapolis. We were in Bloomington, Indiana, and the traffic was an unknown. It was just, you know, was it going to be okay? Maybe. Was it going to be a terrible traffic day? Maybe. So lucky for us, we ended up driving up there late at night, but my water broke at 4 p.m. and Nothing happened. 
And I just was like, wow, this is weird. No labor, no nothing. And I made a few phone calls. I called the midwife and she didn't immediately call back. So I just was putting around the house. I, I think I made some food thinking, well, if this does get started, I should eat a meal right now. And then I just waited and things did progress into the evening there. Wait, so your water breaks, is it like a Hollywood break all over the stairs kind of big moment or it's subtle? So it was something in between. The water for me, and of course it depends, everybody is a little different. It definitely was more than just a, a simple feeling of wetness. It was like whoosh, but it wasn't like what would happen in a movie because the baby is putting pressure on and maybe even covering the hole that is ruptured in the amniotic sac. So all of the water doesn't leak out, but some of it does. So for me, it would just like this like whoosh. And I was like, okay, that was definitely water breaking. It was enough to let me know. So some people often think to themselves, gosh, I'm not sure if that was my water. And they have to question it. But for me, I didn't question it. I knew automatically that it was water breaking. And, and that was funny because then I expected things to get started right away. And it absolutely did not happen like that at all. And I'm imagining if it were me, once my water broke and I realized that birth is imminent, I'd be too nervous to eat, I guess. I would be maybe excited, but also, oh my God, this is what we've been waiting for and here it is. But it sounds like you were more calm than that and made yourself a meal. I did. Well, partly because nothing happened. There was absolutely no action, no contraction, nothing after the water. And I, I mean... It was about 4 p.m. in the afternoon, and I thought, well, I was about to eat anyway. But I was thinking to myself, you know, well, since nothing's going on here, I'm just going to... I was, again, sort of naive, and I was just like, well, I'll just stay calm until I find otherwise. So then, at at what point do you leave for the long trek to the birth center, and why do you leave? Okay, so this was a really interesting night. So again... We moved into the six o'clock hour with still very little action. And by then I had heard from the midwife and she said to me, your contractions might start overnight. Maybe I'll see you tomorrow. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. So about maybe two hours later, around six or 6.30, my action picked up a little bit and I started to feel some contractions. But it still, it wasn't like over the top. But sometime maybe between seven and eight, I was really, really thrown into very active labor and I could not get out of the bathroom. I was on the toilet with almost every contraction for a while. And I told my husband, he said, you know, shouldn't we get in the car? And I was like, dude, there is no toilet in the car. I'm not going in there. I'm not even going. And the toilet is putting you in the right position to handle a contraction. Is that what it is? But also because I was really going, I was going to the bathroom every time for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Because I was like, okay, this has to clear out sooner or later, right? So I told my husband, I just need a little more time. So it's funny that you mentioned the right position because even after I felt like I could walk away from the toilet for a while, I found myself leaning over the countertop in the same position that you would use when you're brushing your teeth and you're really actively using the water and you're spitting stuff in the sink. I was completely bent over during each contraction, kind of leaned into the countertop in the bathroom. 
And that was the most comfortable position for me. So somehow standing upright was a total non-starter. I could not stay completely up, but I didn't want to lie down at all. Lying down would have been a total disaster. So I was, I kind of was bent over and my husband kept coming in and he was like, oh my God, are you okay? I was like, I'm totally fine. I just need to get into this position during the contractions. So he was in the other room frantically dialing my sister who had already had two kids without any medication. And he's like, she's in the bathroom. She won't leave the toilet. She's doubled over. What do we do? And my sister said, you need to get in the car right now. And so he was panicked because she was telling him, you have to leave. That This baby's probably further along than you guys are thinking. So I had only been having contractions for 90 minutes, maybe, maybe going on two or three hours now. And he was really trying to convince me to get in the car. And I think we left the house a little bit before 10 p.m. And the drives, it was 67 miles to get to the Indianapolis Birth Center, which is ridiculous. And I'm going to say right now, I would never make that choice again. I know people do. And sometimes, and this is a tragic situation, but a lot of people in rural areas and places where maternity care is closing down now, they don't have good access to care. And some people do have to go that far. A hundred percent. Some people don't have a choice, right? This is how they live. Yeah, exactly. But because I did have a choice, lots of people that I knew were trying to consider talking me out of this. Like my parents were a hundred percent against it. They both were calling me nonstop and saying, this is really silly. You should be going to the hospital. There's a hospital five miles from you. Why don't you just go there? You're making a bad decision. This is too risky. And I thought, I'm healthy. I'm a healthy person. I've had a healthy pregnancy. I'm fine. This is going to be fine. I can stand an hour in the car. Now, the reason I would not choose that again is because it was an hour of very, very active, super hard labor. And I just wouldn't do it again in the car. It was, there was no place to find a good position. So then nothing happened. I never told my husband, pull over the baby's coming. That did not happen. We drove to the birth center. We got there at 10.45, almost 11 p.m. And I was fully dilated and the midwife expected the baby to just pop right out. So for the first time, that's really fast. It's really fast. But what I guess I didn't know is that I had probably been having some, definitely some movement. I didn't have any checks. I didn't know if I was dilated going up to this process because I didn't go up there for any visits in the day or two before. A lot of people, they end up getting checked and like, oh, the day before I was so and so many centimeters. Well, I had no idea, but I could have been. So when the water broke, I didn't know how far along I was. And and I, I can tell you that I didn't feel anything at that moment. But then in the hours later after that, because there, the baby's head was probably really pressing down on the cervix and so there was no cushion of that water anymore, it was intense. It was really intense. So that's a really good point, which you brought up earlier. You said usually water breaking is not the first sign. So exactly. m- maybe something else had been going on for a day or two and you just didn't notice it. And or... I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. So now you're at the birth center and they take you in and you're fully dilated. What happens now? So the midwife was alone. It was 11 p.m. and there was nobody at the birth center. She called her assistant and the assistant did not answer. And we went into the midnight and one o'clock and the baby still wasn't coming out. And I think the midwife was getting really nervous. 
because she had expected me literally to have the baby within 30, 40 minutes of arriving because I was fully dilated and she was alone. And so it was me, the midwife and my husband. And I don't know what happened during the pregnancy. This midwife was fantastic and I really liked her. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm so glad she's the one on call. Turns out that she was actually kind of mean to me during the delivery, which really was something I did not expect. It was in the middle of the night. Her assistant wasn't answering the phone. She was panicked. She didn't want to be there alone. So she ended up calling a nearby hospital and a nurse from Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis, which wasn't far from the birth center. They were having a slow night. So this nurse came over and I'm guessing that either the two of them were friends or maybe they had this arrangement all the time. And this woman was fantastic. She was really nice. And I felt so much better once she was there. I was in a birthing tub, just relaxing. And they were panicked that it wasn't happening sooner. But I was in a space, I was completely in a zone, not thinking logically. I was zoned out. And for anybody who's ever been there, you know what I mean, right? So that happened. I think I was in the tub for a little over an hour. And then they were like, you know what? This, this isn't happening. You're not progressing. Let's get out of the tub, see if you can walk around a bit and bring this all to a conclusion. It took a little more time. The baby was born at quarter till three and it had been too long. They were really expecting it to happen quicker. And they tried to tell me that they wanted to cut an episiotomy and I was like, no way, no, no, no. So after they threatened me and I'm not I'm really not making that up. The midwife was not very nice when she was talking to me about it. I was like, okay, all right, I can do this. I have the strength somewhere in this body to make this happen. Looking back on the whole experience, I feel like if someone had just said to me after the midnight hour, hey, are you, do you want a snack? Are you hungry? Do you need a, like a little pick-me-up? I hadn't eaten since about 4.30. I was probably really hungry, but I didn't even recognize my own signals at that moment. My husband was really good about giving me a drink. I was drinking a lot. I was totally hydrated, but I think I didn't have any energy, you know? So at that moment when she was like, oh, we're going to cut an episiotomy, I'm like, there's no episiotomy happening. I am going to do this right now. And the baby was born. And I just, I was determined. Because at that moment, I was just like, oh, well, just let it play out. But then once they were sort of taking a turn towards the place where I didn't want to go, I picked up steam and just... I pushed the baby out and that was it. So two questions about that. Thing number one is, how are we dealing with the pain? And is it what you expected? And thing number two is, I'm impressed that you have the presence of mind to say no to the episiotomy, given that you're exhausted and you're birthing this baby. This is true, but that was one of the driving forces of why I didn't go to the hospital. I did not want any of these things. Yeah. But when they said that to me, I was like, trigger, yeah, yeah. that is not happening. And yeah. we are having this baby right now. And I almost felt like if you had said that to me two hours ago, this baby would have been born. Yeah. 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 The most I needed. Yeah. Outside of the fact that I actually needed a sandwich or something, you know, but at the time I, I didn't know. A useful shot of adrenaline is what it sounds like. Yes. And how are you dealing with the pain? So the funny thing is, I think for me, the intensity, the height of the pain was happening when I was at home in the bathroom, kind of doubled over on the sink, and then the whole car ride. Once we got there, 
I don't know if it was a mental shift. I don't know. I do believe that things really slowed down a bit. They ran a really nice warm bath in this huge tub and I was just relaxing and I was totally in a zone and I don't even recall having any pain at that point. I'm not kidding. I just felt like, okay, now I'm relaxed and things kind of calmed down. And there is some pattern to this. A lot of people notice they go through a really intense period of even what looks like transition right before maybe you think the baby's coming and then stuff slows down and you get this break. And I did have that. That's super cool. And so after the birth, do they lay the baby on your chest and do all that stuff or? Yes. So I remember the very first thing that happened, they were like, okay, she's out. And they were relieved because I think they thought that the baby was having some stress. But there weren't any real signs like they did. We never talked about going to the hospital ever. It was perfectly fine for the birth center. The very first thing that I did, I just collapsed backwards onto the bed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm exhausted. They put the baby on me. And I remember I remember thinking like, wow, this whole experience just ended. And here is this little baby. It was amazing. And I, I was overwhelmed with exhaustion. I was kind of in and out of falling asleep a little bit while she was lying in the bed next to me. And my husband was there. The midwife was there. And, we, and things were happening. You know, they were measuring her. They weighed her. And it all seems a little bit of a blur to me since it was three in the morning and I was just so, so tired. But they counseled me on getting started with breastfeeding. I remember the midwife or the assistant who had shown up. She was now making some notes about what time the breastfeeding started and how the latch was going and stuff like this. And I just remember feeling thoroughly exhausted. Yeah, that sounds appropriate. That makes sense. And so how long before you get to go home? This was so odd. So my husband and I went through all the procedures they did. Most states require a simple blood test to do newborn testing. So they did the newborn testing. We did Whatever procedures were required at that moment, I think I opted out of a few. And then we left to drive the hour back home at 7 a.m. Oh, we were home my God. House. We were back at our house by 8 a.m. Wow. Wow. That's fast. Yeah, it was. I, and I think that they weren't kicking us out, but... I think everyone was exhausted. And my husband said to them, it's only an hour. I am really running on full adrenaline. I can make the drive home. They don't know that, that that's a good choice, but we made that choice and we were home in time to let the dogs out. I'm going to end my conversation with Kelly here for today. Thanks so much to Kelly for sharing this amazing experience. I appreciate both her ability to overcome her fear and her efforts to help others do the same. I think the idea of birth, understandably, leaves many of us unsure about how we'll handle what we've heard is an often excessive amount of pain and uncertainty. All of Kelly's suggestions are really helpful. I've included her list in the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, consider paying a quick visit to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen and leaving us a review. We totally appreciate it. We'll be back next week with the surprises Kelly experiences in postpartum.